Training, mindset, integrity, incremental improvement. What can you do better today? Start right here with the Pendola Project. So why why should people listen to what you have to say, Chad? Why are you here today? <laughs> I mean, besides being my best friend, why why would I have you in here today? I think people are already clicking off the Yeah, no, you've just lost all your subscribers. Um I, I don't know. I think it's uh uh I think it's because we are uh very similar people, I think in in really important ways. Um, I'm much better looking than you are, so that gives me a big advantage on you. But other than that, um, we're pretty similar. And I think that we have uh, chosen to live our lives in very similar ways and and um, hold really core values uh, mutually. Yeah, speaking of core, we met in AmeriCorps. Oh, geez, what a segue. Right? And we're actually going to talk more about how we met and became friends and uh, sort of developed our culture together in the next episode on Thursday. But first, we're going to talk today about how we make our passions into a career. It's not an easy thing to do. That's certainly a lot of people that I grew up with. I came to find that they had maybe some good careers, maybe even making more money than I do, that sort of thing, but they don't love what they do. And you're one of those people that, I mean, you really, you sacrificed everything for, for your passions. And even, I really respect the fact that even when you used to be my general manager and I sort of had a set career plan in mind for the both of us really. And I figured, yeah, Chad's all set. He's why wouldn't he want to do this? And then you told me, hey, I'm going to help you with this. I'm going to help you get your business going. I'm, I'm going to be there for you. But then at a certain point, I'm going to go and follow my passion. And I was kind of, at the time, I was kind of taken aback. Like, why would you want to leave something that is uh, so good, of course, right? Um, and you were very good as my business manager. I believe that I would have been even more successful today. So it's kind of your fault that I don't have a couple of Porsches in my garage, but we'll get to that uh, soon. But tell people a little bit about your passion, what you got you into acting in the first place, and then also just how you ended up making the decision to uh, do what you do today. Um, well, uh, as you pointed out, acting or, or actually theater uh, is my passion and has been for uh, much of my life, uh, most of it. Um, and I don't know, I think it was, uh, uh, a lot of different things that, that drew me to, uh, entertainment, drew me to theater specifically. Um, you know, the camaraderie, the culture, the family that you develop, um, on a show or, or in a company like that. Um, the, uh, uh, it's so, it can overtake your entire mind and body and, you become so uh, singularly focused on uh, this particular task or this particular role or building a set or whatever. Um, and, and, you know, I've done it all in theater. I've, I've, I have been an actor and, and I've been a producer and I've been a director and I, I've been a props master and I've been a stage manager and I've been a deckhand. And, uh, you know, I currently work as a uh, technical director and production manager and resident designer at Reno Little Theater. And, uh, uh, and so, you know, 
obviously the whole spectrum of of theater creation has really been my passion. When we talk about your process to success, the thing that I like to point out a lot of times is there's it's important to some people, or at least I think this is what we've been taught a lot of times, is that you should look at the long game. You should look at the end goal. But I kind of have an issue with that because so many things change. I mm-hmm. think those micro goals are important. I certainly don't think back when you were in New York that you thought about being in Reno one day. <laughs> and it's no insult to what you're doing because you're, you're bringing culture to Reno in, in ways that I don't think we had before. I don't know if you would say that, but I think that. And so th- it seems to me like this was your destiny, but there's no way – back then that you saw yourself in this position. So I think it's important we should talk a little bit about how you um, you move towards that and then realize that this is where you should be. Mm-hmm. Well, I think uh, you're absolutely right. I had no idea I'd be living in Reno at this point, uh, or ever, frankly. Uh, thanks, Matt. You're the one that moved me here. <laughs> uh, but, um, you know, I think that keeping that, really singular vision of um, creating uh, work that you're proud of. That's not to say that, you you, you know, you don't have a lot of failures because I've certainly and continue to, I certainly have had a lot of failures and continue to have failures, but that the, the goal is always to create work that you are proud of as an individual, that you know that um, I, I gave everything that I had to, um, a show or a prop or a set or a design or whatever. And that at the end of the day, I step back and I say, you know, this was what I had to give. This is what I learned. And I hope that the next time I do something that it's infinitesimally better. You love what you do to the point where I think this is another thing that I would like to talk about today. It's, not that you don't have to work. I mean, I think when people say, well, I never have to work a day because I'm doing what I love. That, I mean, <laughs> yes, there a lot of what I do, I love to do it, but you still do have to do the work. Yeah. So, I, you know, in, in a way, I think that's been misunderstood too. Uh, I get that comment a lot, like, well, yeah, I, you love what you do, so you might have put in an 80-hour week, but... You know, that's not really work for you. Getting up at four in the morning or or having to list out every day what has to be done, mm-hmm. you don't always feel like doing that. But honestly, I did learn a lot of that from people like yourself where I understood, especially in a field like yours, a lot of what you were doing was it wasn't giving you any monetary value and years and years of kind of building your experience. I respect that so much because you had to really believe in yourself to keep doing that and still figure out how to eat. Yeah. I mean, I think you and I uh, share a particular mentality in that we were, we were fairly blind and stupid uh, as young men. And we just wanted to do this. We just wanted to do what, what drove us and, you know, you can dissect the reasons why you love uh, uh, fitness and, and um, you know, all of that stuff. And I love theater and art and all of that stuff. But at the end of the day, the drive is still the same. And, and as, a, 
as a young man, luckily, I didn't have any responsibilities other than myself. And, and um, you know, we were able to just essentially sacrifice everything. And, and, you know, yeah, maybe I ate sauerkraut and mustard sandwiches for four weeks in a row. But, you know, it didn't, it didn't really matter because I got up and I went into the theater and I came home with no money, but I came home with experience and I came home with lessons learned. And, you know, that was the time, that was the time I had to put in that way. And now, yeah, we still work really, really hard, but not certainly uh, as I, I think hard in a different way, certainly than we did back then. Absolutely. Well, right now in your life, you have just the most beautiful little girl, PK, and she is the love of your life. Aaron was talking the other day. We had a we, we had some fun at the uh, playground and, and we were, PK finally asked Uncle Matt to help her <laughs> slide down the slide. My, oh, I just uh, started tearing up just thinking about it because uh, PK is obviously being your daughter. She's, she's somebody that I want to be close to all my life and it's important to me. I develop a relationship with her. But Aaron was saying how incredible it is to see PK with you because you are just 100% all in and you're just, you're the best dad that you can be. And I know it's very, we have very similar ties there where now it's about making sure that we can do the best job possible as, as parents mm-hmm. and still be able to uh, do what we love. Yes. But we had to figure out how to maybe condense some of that and work smarter, oh, not yeah. necessarily harder. And that was my biggest challenge uh, when Aaron and and uh told me hey we're gonna have a baby and i didn't think at the time aaron was told she probably wouldn't be able to have kids so i didn't think i'd have to worry about that and i got real worried about that so (laughs) you've done a really good job managing that what have what have you done since knowing you were gonna be well i shouldn't say you're you actually have a, a few children now but uh being being a father what have you done to prepare for that well um, you know, just like you and Aaron, uh, my wife, Melissa and I, uh, run Reno little theater together, uh, and we have a great staff and we also have amazing volunteers, lots and lots of volunteers, um, that, that help this organization, uh, stay afloat as well as produce great art, hopefully great art. Um, you know, the introduction of, a, a, an infant and a toddler into uh, a couple that run a business together is it, that is monumental. I mean, it's monumental in and of itself. But when you are trying to keep the, uh, collectively trying to keep the doors open on the same place, um, especially in a nonprofit arts organization, that can be you know super super tough. Um, you know, I, I don't. Frankly, I just don't know how we do it. <laughs> There's a lot of um, we've we've spent the first two years of Penelope's life um, essentially working opposite schedules. You know, I would work uh, early in the morning uh, and then, you know, come home mid afternoon and tag out. And Melissa would go into work. Um, you know, right now it's uh, a little bit easier, um, you know, with uh, the pandemic. The theater is actually shut down um, 
I just went on furlough along with the rest of our staff. Uh, Melissa is now the only staff that's on, and she works, frankly, now probably more than she did before the pandemic um, just to try and keep the, the organization afloat without being able to produce work. Um, you know, but, but you know, family, there is uh, – you certainly understand this. There's nothing like raising a child in your family-run business. It is one of the most beautiful things, I think, to be able to bring our children into the theater and say, this is mommy and daddy's office. And run, play, have fun. We got work to do. You know, we'll keep an eye on you outside playing in the education room, um, you know, or, you know, the theater's empty. Let's go in there and work and you just run around this big space. And I think this comes back to micro steps that we were talking about before micro goals like you said i don't know how we do it but at the same time you're just kind of taking it day by day mm -hmm. and making good decisions but i have to say that you are one of the most unselfish people i know you give yourself to others you've always been like a big brother to uh, I know some I know some stories about you that uh, I wouldn't embarrass you on the podcast right now, but you've gone out of your way to be a father figure. And um, even with Melissa, she had two kids going into your marriage with her. I see those kids around you and there's no difference in the way that you are with them. And I, I know that those kids are very lucky to have you as a father figure in their life. But I, I also know that to you, you're not making a sacrifice for kids that you didn't personally have. This is a blessing to you. And I think it just goes back to that decision as a person. You know, what kind of a person do I want to be? And when you don't see things like that as a sacrifice, but really an opportunity, then uh, then I think that that's why you're able to manage it day by day. Mm -hmm. um, I believe when people have a, really a hard time managing a lot of things in their schedule, those things that fall off, it's just not as important to them. And you do a really good job, I think, of prioritizing, well, my family comes first, and this is what I love to do. And with my Reno Little Theater opportunity here, I'm going to bring the kids into work. I'm going to make them a part of this. And so maybe just kind of speak a little bit about how you grew up, because I know you didn't grow up that way. And I, that's where I think the, the uh, oftentimes I think that people uh, assume that with my life, for example, that I had just grown up around uh, runners or that I had grown up around this specific culture environment, where in reality, I have said this many times in my my uh, my family is generally, um, geez, I hope they're not listening, but their 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 culture is not that way. That's another yeah. thing that we, you and I, have in common. Is I came from a very, uh, we'll just say overall an unhealthy family, really, and and uh, I know that you're you came up in similar background, but you made very specific choices in your life, and now your your family. Is uh, it has a different culture, and you establish that. So maybe talk a little bit about how you grew up and how you have decided to be that father figure and to be that husband now. Well, I think um, I think some of that certainly um, 
regardless of any uh, situation at home, um, regardless of money or, or anything like that, uh, you know, my my mother was one of those people that nothing really phased her. Y- you know, we had people come in and out of the house and stay for a few weeks or, you know, relatives that had no place else to go. She didn't bat an eye. It was just, okay, just come on in. That was uh, that was always the sort of house that we had. And, and my mother was always... Uh, she was always very supportive of the things that I did, whether she understood them or not, um, and whether she could actually physically be supportive. She always made me feel as though whatever choice I made was fine by her. And so I always felt like um, no matter what I did, I wasn't going to, um, I wasn't going to make her mad. I wasn't going to be a disappointment to her. Um, you know, as long as, you know, as long as I lived my life with truth and, and was nice and respectful and, and all those things that my mom was going to be proud of me. Um, so I think that was a, a real basis for me, um, to start with. And then, you know, in, in high school, as a lot of people have these stories, you meet somebody in those formative years that, that really sets you on a path Morally, maybe, maybe it's career-wise, um, uh, but I'm, my uh, high school drama teacher, uh, Keith Childs, was a really big figure in my life, and he, um, I respected him, and I looked up to him, and he, for the four years that I went to high school, um, and I actually did a show with him when I was in elementary school as well, um, but he really laid the foundation of my work ethic, he was a super hard worker, um, and 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 demanded a lot of uh, high school kids, um, which you know taught me a lot as I grew up and I started to deal with children, um, to not deal with them as children. They're human beings, and you know you demand that they live up to the goals that you set for them and the expectations that you have. And when you show them that they can live up to expectations, they gain confidence and understand that they have ownership of their lives and ownership of the goals that they set and they can, you know, reach those goals. Now, I didn't know certainly back then that, that, uh, I was going to make theater a living. Um, but, at some point, I didn't study theater in college. I studied uh, painting to be a, a fine art painter. Um, and I th- I did that because I didn't think I was good enough to study theater. I don't know why, and I know that sort of contradicts what I just said before, but um, I think it also goes back to maybe the home situation I came from. Yeah, so real quick on that, though. You just said something I think really important because I deal with this a lot of times myself with uh, my athletes or even just people who are talking to me about following their passions. I think it's it's common to think you're not good enough. Mm. And especially when you're younger, I, I think that not feeling good enough detracts people a lot of times and causes them to maybe go into something that's more consistent or reliable or a sure thing. And that's probably a lot of times exactly why they don't follow their passions. 
And I'm just curious as to if you had suggestions for people, if they're thinking about just following their passion and, and how do they do it, what would you say, okay, if you're going to do this, what has enabled you to have the confidence to say, you know what, I am good enough at this and I know that I'll come out of the other side. I have faith in this. Well, I think, um, I think a big thing is to, is to look at those examples that you can see. Um, like my high school drama teacher, like you, for me, Matthew, you have been a touchstone a lot of times and you know, how, what is an example of somebody that lives their truest, um, most engaged life? Um, you know, you've been an example of that to me. And, and so, you know, finding these people, these touchstones in your life, um, even as you grow up and grow older and say, okay, these are the people that I um, can learn from and emulate and, and take the lessons that they have and apply them to the life that I want to live. Uh, I think that was very important for me. And I think it's important for almost everyone. I don't know, I don't know many success stories and count success however you like it. Uh, I don't know many success stories of people who just did it in a vacuum. They had no like example of that's the, that's the type of person I want to emulate. Um, uh, and I think the other things that really helped me is, is understanding that everyone is a human being, whether they're rich or poor, whether they are successful or not, whether they are an immigrant or whether they are a black person or a brown person or a white person or, or a Native American or whatever, everybody is a human being. And so when I looked at those people that I thought were so far above me and there was no way I could ever attain that level of success and I got scared and I thought I wasn't good enough, I remembered, wait a second, these people are just human beings. I can talk to them. I can walk up to them and say, hi, my name is Chad. I really respect what you do. And then, you know, you have a conversation and, and you know, you get to realize that your heroes uh, are, are human beings, which can, and they have their faults and, and, and that can be a bit of a blow at first. But I think if you take the time and realize, wait a second, we're, we can all be heroes and we can all attain these things. And there's no way that anyone is any better than I am. And I'm not better than anybody else. I just thinking about just be me, right? Mm -hmm. And just before the podcast today, we were talking about our, our business plan and here at uh, Pandola. And I'm lucky enough that you are going to help me with some of my projects again. And that was, that was something that I was really imperative to me to get you on board with these these projects because I know you know me and you know the transparency that I want to be able to give and my vision for things. And you always have left your ego at the door, which is just huge because sometimes I feel like an imposter myself going into this camp this week where I'm working with arguably the world's best running coach, Bobby McGee, who's been on this podcast before and is a business partner of mine. But to think I'm here right now with these Olympic hopefuls and these great athletes and these world-renowned coaches because I have the faith and the belief from Bobby McGee, but do I have that in myself? And 
then I just have to remind myself, just, just be yourself. Just be who you are to get here in the first place because that's what got you here. You don't have to be somebody else. And uh, to turn it back on you is I think I've learned that from you more than anybody. You've always the most, to me, the most comfortable person in the room. And I think you're very comfortable in your own skin and who you are. You've never made apologies for who you are. And I think that's why people really gravitate towards you and trust you. And uh, you have that kind of presence about you. If I've, I've seen people that just met you and within a couple minutes, they just feel, you know, at home and, and welcomed and uh, you're not judging them. I think that that is because you accept yourself. I think it starts with yourself. So you, you talked about how, you know, people are just people. But a lot of times I think we have to look at ourselves and realize, yeah, I'm just I'm just that person, too, yeah. just yep, yep, like yep. me. Right. Mm-hmm. So, Chad, uh, just to sort of wrap up today's podcast for our Monday motivation, I don't really think that it's about bells and whistles or giving people uh, just three simple steps or five simple steps. But that is kind of where things are at now but uh takeaways for people from today that are thinking wow you know this guy has uh been able to do what he loves and he has a strong presence and really changed the culture and and the community um and so what steps would you suggest that people uh, take in order to maybe get a little bit closer to their love their passion even if it's not something that they're going to do for a living well i uh, I mean, I think that um, you have to you have to make the decision that that's what you want, and that's the thing. I mean, the a great quote that I can't attribute to anybody because I don't admit. I'll I'll attribute it to you, Matt. Uh, the difference between the people who succeed and the people who don't is usually only that the people who succeed have decided to do so. They just make that decision now. That sounds simple, and that making that decision is simple, but being able to live by that every day and, and making the sacrifices that you have to make, because you do have to make them, and they're going to be hard, and there are going to be times when you have to live under stairs, uh, and there are going to be times that, um, you know, you don't get paid for a year, and and you can't buy new shoes, and... Yeah, if you're willing to do that because you've made the decision that you want to succeed at your passion and make it your career and your life, um, then then that's what you do. And, you know, you said sleep under the stairs because we, uh, we'll we talk about that in the next episode. We're going to talk about how Pendola Project, Pendola Training, really took off and, and, and how we established the business in the first place. I was so lucky to have uh, you because you believed in me enough and you certainly worked a lot of long hours right alongside with me getting that first gym going. And yeah, I was sleeping under the stairs, but I could not have done it without you. And that's the thing. I don't think that anybody gets there on their own. I think that you have to really look at a culture and, and who you have around you but then use that and see those opportunities. And then, you know, hopefully you have that mindset that you are also going to reciprocate those things. But that's where I think the difference can be too, because you said just something so crucial, make a decision. 
I mean, whether it's an athlete in a race and I'm literally as a coach, as they're running by, I'm saying, make a decision. Mm-hmm. It's right now, right here, right now. Decide. Do you, do you want to, do you want to push through that threshold? Because in that, in that pain cave that you're in right now, on the other side of that is the success you want. On the other side of that is bliss. Or you can stay right there and you can slowly slip back and then you have regrets. After the race, you have regrets. You, it can dominate your thoughts and it can really change the course of your, of your process. And that's the difference to me. I completely agree. Make a decision. And you might fail, right? Even when you make a decision, don't think that that means it, it's success. Don't think that automatically means you're going to be heading in the right direction every time, right? So fail forward, right? Yeah. Well, and you got to make that decision thousands of times a day. Almost at every single moment, you have the choice to make the decision that, that gets you closer to that goal or that success or not make that decision and that set you on a different path or set you backwards or whatever. Yeah, I say that fail is your first attempt in learning. I didn't come up with that. I forget who did, but I think it's a good acronym. And that is probably what I would finish with is ex- expect to fail. And that's that's not what we see on social media. That's not what we see on the gram, right? We we are influenced by all this success and or what we think is success because a lot of it, I think, is bells and whistles and smoke and mirrors. But we look at these people having all this quote-unquote success but not really seeing what it took to get there in the first place, if it's even real, by the way, on, on influencing. But when it comes to failing forward and when it comes to understanding that process, that's probably the other thing that I talk about the most with my athletes. They might have one successful race and then it's almost like they expect every race after that to just be a success. No, you have to you have to earn it again. You have to earn it again. And you have to make, like you said, a thousand decisions a day. You have to make all these decisions all the time. And some of them you're going to fail at. And some of them you're going to actually, you know, really move forward with. And you're going to eventually get there because you've taken those micro steps and learn from the failures and learn how to get back up and learn to keep going. And instead of seeing those things as negatives, seeing those things as opportunities to learn, to grow, to develop. And I mean, heck, if I, if, if I just based my, um, my performance for my business off of the first 10 years, even I should have just quit. (laughs) Right. I mean, with me, I think I just did not have a, a B plan, which that's, that's in itself. I think maybe the third thing I would say is if you really want something, you might, you should be responsible right now. I'm a, I'm, I need to make sure that I'm a responsible father and husband. So not having a net at all would not be smart at this point in my life, quite honestly. But depending on where you're at in your life, I think the best thing I did for myself is I didn't have a net. There wasn't a plan B. There wasn't anything else I was going to do because, quite honestly, you know, I wasn't smart enough to do anything. No, <laughs> I just I really didn't. 
I didn't know uh, how to do anything else in my mind. This is it. I just accepted the fact that this is all I'm going to do, so I better make it work. And I didn't waste time thinking about what else I should be doing or could be doing. What would you say to wrap this up, Chad? Well, I, you know, I think it, that's a, a, a good point to um, to understand where you are in your life. You know, you can't always make the decisions that um, – put you in precarious places and and you certainly have to be responsible if you have responsibilities like a family uh uh but that doesn't that doesn't negate the opportunities that you have you know you can uh look at what you've done and and yeah it took you 10 years and the first uh you know several you didn't have anything else to worry about but but this business and, um, you know, that really gave you the opportunity to, you know, to boost you where you are. But, you know, if you, even if you had a family back then, yeah, maybe it would have taken you a few years longer to get where you are right now, but it doesn't make it an impossibility. Yeah, but I think that I have to say, just as you talk, it reminds me of how you just, again, accept who you are and you always have. So, where I went through a period of time where I thought about the money I didn't have. I thought about the things I didn't have. And I, I would go through periods of even just envy, right? Uh, like, I want those things. And you, you, I don't think I can remember a single time when you've wasted your energy on that. It's, you just, hey, I wanted to be an actor, and I wanted to be in the business. I wanted to be an artist. And so, yeah, I have a gig right now, but the next month I don't. So I'm just going to uh, space out my income on this. I'm going to figure out how I can survive, but I'm not going to waste a lot of time thinking about why I don't have a car. I'm just going to keep focusing on getting better at what I do. And then eventually that led you to more security. But uh, that's where I really think you are different than most. I, I think that you have always really accepted that fact. It reminds me of a uh, guy, John Metzger, who also was on our podcast a while back. And he used to own Fitzgerald's uh, Casino here in Reno. And he, um, he quoted something to me about his kids. I said, so d did you leave your kids, you know, this amount of money a year after they were old enough or, you know, college or whatever? And he said, no, I love them too much for that. <laughs> and uh, that's and that always struck me because he meant it. He said, you know, his his son was uh, in a profession that didn't pay a lot of money. He was a sports broadcaster, but he loved it. He absolutely loved it. And he said in that that life is what he chose and I wouldn't want to change that. I wouldn't want to change the way that he uh, he is because that is his path. And and along with his passions, living that lifestyle goes with it. And if I took that away from him, he might not be the success he is or the, the success he's becoming. And I, I think that you emulate that perfectly. Well, thanks. I, you know, I respect John a lot and, and John has uh, certainly taught me a lot of lessons over the years too. Um, and, and I hope so. I hope that I am comfortable in my skin. I hope I can teach my children, uh, to do that same thing. Um, and, and just be comfortable in the world and, and understand, uh, that, that you have as much right to be in it and as much right to change it and as much right to add to it 
uh, as anybody else. So, Chad, if people are interested in going to Reno Little Theater, if they're local, I know right now during the crisis you guys are not open, but uh, how can people find you? How can people learn more about Reno Little Theater? Well, we do. We are doing a few things uh, virtually, as most uh, theater companies are across the world. Uh, so you can find all that stuff at our website, which is renolittletheater.org, and that's theater with an E-R. Um, and you can also find us on Facebook or Instagram uh, or YouTube. We have a lot of cool videos on YouTube, some fun stuff on there. Uh, and, you know, hopefully we'll get back into producing some live theater um, as soon as we can. You know, we want to be respectful and responsible because um, we're all in this pandemic together. Uh, but as soon as we can put some butts in seats and get that uh, communal experience of, of live theater, then, then that's what we really want to do. So, Chad, I'm, I'm kind of known for this, but the listeners will understand. There's one story that I just really want to share, and that's where my daughter, Mia, she came to your theater a couple years back. And you were playing, were you playing Captain Hook at the time? It was, it was the previous version of Captain Hook. Blackstash is his name. And there was a certain point. I honestly don't remember what you said, but Mia just busted out. And just what she was, she was, the audience was quiet, but she was too young at the time to sort of realize that she uh, maybe shouldn't be uh, screaming something out, but she did. And then you just rolled right with it and brought Mia right into the action, right? And <laughs> Mia was just talking about that this morning. That's oh, how out. long, I'm not kidding you. She, that experience stuck with her. And uh, she, I'm not just saying this uh, because you're here today. She was asking me, Daddy, when can we go to that again? And, and she also has talked about getting into a play or doing something like that when, uh, when the theater opens up again. So uh, you sparked an interest in her. And I, I just, I can't thank you enough for that. But uh, that's where you really just rolled with it at, at that moment and made it fun for everyone. And that's where I really saw that, wow, he's really good at this because that would have thrown me off. <laughs> well, it was, it, it was a particular type of show. Peter and the Starcatcher is the, the show that you're watching. I was playing Blackstash. Uh, it's a fun show. It really allows for that sort of play with the audience. Um, uh, you know, And I love stuff like that uh, regardless of what show I'm in. Um, and there is, uh, I guess there is a certain, uh, being comfortable in one's own skin, even when you're in somebody else's skin as an actor that, um, has often, uh, uh, been to my advantage. I'm so great that, that Mia still talks about that. Um, you know, something I think that's super important, um, for both, whether you're talking about athletics or whether you're talking about the arts or frankly, anything, we have so many, uh, beautiful things about this world. Um, and each of these things can play together to make a complete and beautiful, wonderful human being. And, you know, we have a great education program at Reno Little Theater. And, and our goal is not to train the next, uh, you know, cadre of, of professional actors in the world. Our goal is to, to spark interest and to make sure that, that these kids grow up understanding uh, what this art form is and being able to appreciate it and hopefully love it 
uh, and be able to, whether it's be audience members or be donors or be actors or designers or stage managers or whatever it is, but at the very least to understand that this beautiful thing called theater exists. Wow, that's that's beautiful. And by the way, I remember now you were you were playing this character who eventually Captain Hook loses his hand, and I think that that's where you just played it out in in the play that uh, I think it was the chest, the top of a chest comes slamming down, and that's where you lose your hand. Mm -hmm. And of course, we all know the story that's supposed to come from the crocodile, right? Mm -hmm. But that's where Mia said. Daddy, did he lose his hand? <laughs> and everybody was cracking up. But that, that is where, again, you made the experience so much fun for everybody. And that's where you, you made a fan with, with Mia. And that's our future. And so yeah. that's, that's, again, it's, it's so about the kind of a person that, that you are and the company that you, that you run now with Melissa. So beautiful, uh, beautiful job. Thanks for being on the podcast today. Guys, on Thursday, we're going to be talking a little bit more about how Chad and I built Pendola training. And that's going to be a lot of fun because we have some fun uh, living under the stairs stories there. So make sure you listen up for that. <laughs> that's going to be a lot of fun. All right, guys. And remember, if you like the podcast, like the podcast. And remember to give us a review on any of our social media or, of course, on the podcast itself. We'd love to get five stars from you. And just uh, tell your friends, if you want to really help the, this out, the podcast out, just uh, share us with your friends. All right. We'll talk to you next time.